It's hopeless out there. There's no more hope. All right, I'm just kidding. What a crazy week. Hope Hicks is out at the White House. I never thought I'd see that day come. Jared Kushner has had his security clearances all but revoked. Poor little Jared. Donald Trump chucked Democrats, Republicans, me, you, everyone, when he called it exactly how it is and told Republicans that they are afraid of the NRA. I'm going to say it here. Go Donald. And Chief of Staff John Kelly is in the midst of an all-out war inside the White House. So if only there was someone who could tell us how all of this is going down and explain why this is happening and what's behind the news. But here on Inside the Hive, we have just the perfect guest. Today, I'm going to welcome Gabe Sherman, who, if you've read the news in the past couple of years, you will have read something by Gabe. He was a reporter at New York Magazine for almost a decade. He was the reporter that went to Mar-a-Lago in 2016, spent time with Trump and his campaign officials, Hope Hicks, Lindowski, all the folks that are no longer at the White House, and kind of showed this ragtag group of people that were essentially trying to win the White House. He's also the author of The Loudest Voice in the Room, which details how Fox News and that despicable human being, Roger Ailes, changed the media landscape and helped create the GOP party that exists today. At New York, he, he wrote a lot about Trump and all of his officials, and he recently came over to Vanity Fair and has been doing the same thing for us. And I am convinced with all of the scoops that he has and all of the inside knowledge that he actually has a part-time job in the White House where he gets to, to overhear what people are talking about because there's no way that he would be able to get these scoops otherwise. I'm really excited to, to welcome Gabe to the show today and to understand and try to learn what exactly is going on inside 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Nick. Um, I uh, Before we begin, um, I just want, I, I almost ended up, you gave me the address to the place that you're staying in, in LA, and I put in the the wrong address, and I, or I ended up at a weed store, uh, uh, so I picked up some hash, and we're going to smoke some during this interview. Uh, this is actually not a, not a, I didn't buy the hash, but I did almost end up at a weed store. All right, Gabe, it's been, a, to quote uh, our editor, John Kelly, a rollicking week in the news this week. Hope Hicks Thanks. is gone. What the I know. happened? I mean, I feel like... Donald Trump doesn't exist as a, as a person without Hope Hicks. You know, she was so central to both, you know, him uh, being his ultimate gatekeeper with reporters and also kind of being his emotional support system. Um, and, uh, you know, the thought of him in the Oval Office with access to the nuclear codes without her there to calm him down is a little terrifying. So, okay, so you've written a lot about Hope, about Trump, about all these folks. Um, let's go back before we get to hit her leaving this week and why and, and how and so Let's go back to your piece in 2016, New York Magazine. Uh, amazing opening that I still remember. Uh, Hicks is by the, Hope Hicks is by the pool on her cell phone. Mm -hmm. Just paint the room for yeah. us of what these people were like then and what they were like right before they left. Well, so, uh, yeah, I, as you mentioned, I covered uh, the Trump campaign for uh, for New York Magazine. And I was um, in Palm Beach on Super Tuesday uh, when Trump was basically wrapping up the Republican nomination. And uh, a source of mine had invited me to lunch at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, of course, one never turns down a, a chance for uh, a free meal at Mar-a-Lago. So um, I, I took him up on the offer, and we were uh, sitting out by the pool having our, our lunch. And I looked over, and uh, there was the high com the, the brain trust, the high command of Donald Trump's campaign: Hope Hicks, Corey Lewandowski, uh, Dan Scavino. Um, I think were the the core group. And they were um, chilling by the pool. Hope was in a bikini, her her hair wet, apparently just from a swim. And Corey Lewandowski was uh, quaffing, uh, chugging Red Bull. And, um, you know, this was um, the biggest primary day of the uh, <clears throat> Republican, uh, uh, biggest election day of the Republican primary. And yet they were just chilling at the pool like it was spring break. Was it because they just didn't realize what was like? 
did they? I mean, what was what's going through their mind? I mean, do they just like not care, or they're just like it doesn't matter? Or? I mean, my my sense of um, the entire Trump campaign, and you know, Michael Wolf kind of alluded to this a little bit in, in Fire and Fury, is that the whole thing started essentially as you know a giant joke, where he was always Trump was always going to return to The Apprentice. He thought this would just be a way to become ever more famous. But did Hope and and Lewandowski believe that too? Yeah, they never thought that this was actually at the at the outset going to be, um, you know, that he had any chance of winning. And in fact, I remember Hope told me um, she was working for uh, Ivanka Trump uh, as a shoe publicist on the um, uh, a lower floor at Trump Tower. And Donald uh, Trump invited her up to the 26th floor to his office. And he said, Hope, you're, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about running for president and you're going to be my press secretary. And, you know, this not only was that like an outer body experience for her, she had zero experience in, uh, in politics and thought this was just, you know, a giant publicity stunt. And, you know, fast forward to, you know, when I saw her at Mar-a-Lago at the pool, you know, he was clinching the Republican nomination. I think there just was a surrealness to it that they won by breaking all the rules of politics. So why wouldn't they just chill by the pool? Because it had worked for them all the way through. So when... When he calls her up and uh, she has no idea that that two and a half years later she's going to be sitting before you know uh, a, a Senate committee t- telling the fact that she tells white lies, yeah. right? Um, I mean, I, I can't. I mean, I remember when I was twenty nine, I was getting drunk with my friends, and I, I wasn't even a reporter yet. Yeah. I was. I didn't become a reporter until I was thirty three. Like I was still trying to figure out who I was, and she has the top press job in 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 the world yeah. um is it just that right now she it she's hit a plateau and she's like this is just too much i can't handle this anymore yeah i think that you know there's a bunch of factors going on um you know obviously as you mentioned the Mueller probe she has uh, as i reported today ex- serious legal exposure she was in every pivotal meeting that seems to be the focus of uh the Mueller investigation uh, primarily uh, um, the Air Force One, the now infamous Air Force One meeting in which Trump uh, and her concocted this you know, phony statement to say that Don Jr.'s meeting with the Russians was about adoptions, when we now know from the emails that it was about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. Um, so she has you know, major exposure, whether it's obstruction of justice or lying to the FBI, uh, who, you know, who knows what it is. Um, I, that was weighing on her. And then also she went through this um, messy uh, uh, public breakup with her boyfriend, Rob Porter, who was accused credibly by his two ex-wives of uh, domestic abuse. And she was dragged through the tabloid headlines. And uh, as she told friends, I mean, the last uh, weeks and months on the job have just been miserable. And she just decided she had to get out. So up until about about – Three weeks ago, when the whole Porter thing happened with her her ex and so on and so forth, I feel like um, she was in the news, but on the periphery. One of the things I I correct me if I'm wrong, because you clearly know more about this than anyone. One of the things that I, Donald, I'm assuming, liked about her was that she was not always in the news. What changed? I, it can't just be the the relationship with this guy that that that, that you know slammed her under the front pages. Yeah. Was there something else that changed? Well, you know, there is, you know, the the other thing that was happening in the background here was uh D- John Kelly, uh Donald Trump's chief of staff was consolidating power and basically trying to marginalize any of the Trump world characters that were only in those positions uh, due to their personal relationship with uh, with the president, so that includes obviously Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump. Um, he fired Anthony Scaramucci when he came in last year, and I think from my reporting, Kelly wants to kind of professionalize the press operation and has been giving more responsibility to Mercedes Schlapp, who's a longtime Republican operative, and her her husband runs CPAC. CPAC, right? yeah. Yep. So they're kind of fixtures in the DC. Republic. Wait, so just to real quick for listeners that don't know, so these guys are are straight up real deal conservatives, right? Yes, and but- straight up real deal conservatives, straight up you know political professionals who have worked in national politics for years. Uh, and you know there are certain things and rules uh, that the, you know the political world operates by, and Hope Hooks came to it with zero experience. And I think Kelly has been trying to move those people either into positions of less influence or to get them out of the White House entirely. 
All right, so real quick, let's just stay with Hope, and, I, and then I want to get to John Kelly, who I'm totally amazed by. I don't know if I'm supposed to like him or hate him or both or what. Um, where does Hope go now? I mean, she uh, she's had this insane job from being a, a, a shoe PR mm-hmm. woman to this. Does she end up on TV? Does she go and hide yeah. in her bedroom for six months? <laughs> I mean... Does she testify against Trump? Like, yeah, what, what, I mean, what? I think the most immediate thing that is uh, on her agenda is probably staying out of jail. So, um, you know, to the degree that which she is going to make sure that she's not indicted uh, as um, someone who's wrapped up in the Mueller probe, you know, and t- to your question about whether she testifies against Trump, I have a tr- I have a really hard time seeing her, you know, become a cooperating witness. Now that said, if if Mueller's like it's either that or jail, I mean that can change people's mind. But she is so fiercely loyal to Trump uh, as a person. It's it's a they have kind of this cosmic psychic connection um, that's. A lot of people describe as almost, you know, familial, where he has, you know, adopted her as kind of a surrogate daughter. I just can't see her turning on him. Although this White House has been so fucking crazy that, you know, maybe the unexpected is what's going to happen. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't wasn't Hope a Democrat before she joined the campaign, or was she? I, a, no, like- I think she was um, to the to the extent that she had politics. I think she was a kind of a country club Greenwich, Connecticut Republican. Um, she comes from, you know, a moderate Republican family. Her mom, I believe, is a Democrat, but her father, um, uh, Paul Hicks, um, was for years the um, longtime head flack for the NFL. Um, I mean, one thing I want to point out, and some people have talked about this on Twitter, is the kind of meme of like, hope, poor Hope Hicks, the damsel in distress kind of got wrapped up in this story. I mean, she is a third generation high-powered flack from Greenwich, Connecticut, who comes from a very savvy, well-connected family. And to the extent that I don't think she, um, yes, she had no political experience, but she wasn't this wilting flower. And so the kind of the blanket sympathy that I'm kind of seeing in some quarters of Twitter, I mean, there is a gendered aspect to that. I don't think, you know, just because she's a young woman doesn't mean she didn't have agency and that she made these choices. You've spent quite a bit of time with her and spoken to her numerous times. Um, uh, what is your sense of kind of who she is as a person? You know, she's fascinating. I think the degree to which she's now become such an object of, of national attention, she is, you know, sort of inscrutable. She is incredibly charming and, and friendly and kind and open. But then there is this kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the word, this uh, sort of savviness or, kind of knowingness where I can't tell if her kind of wide-eyed ingenue presentation is this calculated performance that she's doing or that's whether who she is or if it's a mixture of the two. I mean, to your question about whether she'd be on TV, I can't see her becoming a public person. I mean, one of the strange aspects of her is she's in an incredibly, probably the most public job in America and yet hates being the subject of any public attention. And so, you know, I can't see her sitting down with 60 minutes or doing some sort of, you know, big tell all because it's just so against who she is um, in terms of being averse to the press. But isn't that the, aren't you in the wrong job if you're, I mean, I, I you know, it, it's like, it'd be like an artist becoming a, a hedge fund manager. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, you're, you're just literally in the wrong place if that's who you are and how you act. I mean, again, that's it's fascinating. I think she was, um, you know, the idea that she was the White House communications director and never appeared on television, rarely spoke on the record. Um, and we only glimpsed her in these, you know, kind of dramatic pictures where I remember the famous one of her in the uh, the tuxedo at the state dinner. I mean, she kind of became this enigmatic kind of bond woman behind the scenes of who is this person that has, you know, access to the most powerful person in the world. And yet we know sort of so little about her publicly. So, uh, okay, let's, we'll get, we'll probably weave back towards, uh, hope, um, momentarily, but, uh, there's, it's correct me if I'm wrong, but there's one person left who has not left the building yet. That's Kellyanne Conway, right? She has, you know, she went from being, 
look at me, I'm Kellyanne. Yeah. I'm I'm going to pick a fight with everyone and win. You know, to literally disappearing. Mm-hmm. Is that of her own fruition? Is that because uh, I John think it, Kelly? What, I think what, it's a it's a mixture. Um, I think she. What was the? I think the high watermark peak Kellyanne was when she. Uh, Remember she during the whole whether Obama wiretap Trump debate, she said, "Well, you can turn microwaves into uh, cameras or something." I mean, it was like the most bizarre. Uh, you know, the idea that she could just spin anything, and that you know, I feel from there, um, she has sort of marginalized herself, where she's doing opioids and uh, and some other sort of pet issues. But I think her role is to whenever Trump needs somebody on TV to say something nice about him, that's her role. But she is not a, kind of a major figure in terms of crafting policy. Do you think that she'll she'll see the door soon too, or is she just kind of managing to lay low and? Yeah, I mean, I think the sit degree, on the couch, cross legged. Yeah, it? I think the degree to which she doesn't, you know, try to carve out more power and terrain for herself. If if she doesn't make waves, I think Kelly is happy to keep her around if Trump wants her. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's limited battles that John Kelly wants to pick, and I don't think Kellyanne Conway is, you know, a major offensive for him. All right, so let's talk about John Kelly. Um, uh, So he is a general. He, when he first came into the White House, I remember the meme was essentially that uh, he is going to save America from you know nuclear war and stop immigration issues and 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 make sure that wall doesn't get built and more and more the more that has leaked out the more reporting you've done and so on and so forth it appears that he is actually of the same cloth yeah. in many respects you know kelly is such a amazing story in that he was not known to the public uh before he was elevated to you know, chief of staff. Obviously, we knew he was a four-star Marine general, but to the degree to which we understood his worldview, you know, we just assumed, oh, he is a, uh, a, a mil- you know, a dutiful soldier who served his country for forty years. Of course, he must have, you know, the right values. And in fact, as we've learned a couple of things over the last several months, one, he is, you know, as right-wing and nativist as Donald Trump is, perhaps in some degree more so. And the other thing we've learned is. From a guy who had zero political experience in Washington has emerged over the last week as one of the savviest and sharp-elbowed inside players that I've covered as as a reporter. I mean, the the move he pulled coming out of the Rob Porter scandal, which okay, he to tell 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 that tell that story of what he did. Yeah, I mean, John Kelly um, was was. Uh, front and center in the Porter scandal. He was, uh, Porter was his right-hand man. A lot of people said Kelly was grooming Porter to be the next chief of staff. And Kelly, and yet Kelly had been briefed um, by White House lawyers and the FBI uh, about the credible allegations of uh, Porter's uh, domestic abuse. And rather than doing something about that, well, he thought, well, shit, this guy knows how to do his job. And I need someone who might replace me, so I'm going to kind of basically cover it up. Cut to, you know, the scandal blows up. We now know Kelly was in the middle of it, and that could have been kind of a career-ending moment for him. And yet, what he did, this is, I'll just, it's so fascinating. He passed these rules. He kind of reframed through a Jedi mind trick this whole Porter scandal. He reframed it as a question about national security and security clearances because Rob Porter did not have a permanent security clearance. And a lot of people said that was a risk because of the the abuse allegations. He could have been blackmailed. Therefore, Kelly passed these rules that said, if you do not have a permanent security clearance, you cannot view classified intelligence. And what that did was in one fell swoop, completely iced out Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump because neither of them had uh, permanent security clearances. They were both operating with interim clearances, and they were Kelly's uh, fiercest rivals in the West Wing, leading up to the Porter scandal. And so, what, I mean, that's like a Frank—that's some Frank Underwood shit. Where he <laughs> that's sp- exactly what I was thinking yeah, when you were saying the, this. Yeah, he spun this around to turn something that could have blown up in his face into a move that blew up his rivals. I mean, I am just still in and awe. And so he, and, 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 and tr- so Trump is not upset that Jared and Ivanka no longer have? Well, he is. He's furious at Kelly. And as I've reported uh, and others have, I mean, he's been venting to friends and advisors that he wants to fire Kelly and he's, you know, fighting with him and he thinks Kelly 
Kelly's, you know, as I reported, he told someone uh, Kelly is a quote nut job who thinks he's running things. And yet, because Kelly made this issue about national security and security clearances, it boxed Trump in because he couldn't fire Kelly then, because then, the, as the White House lawyers had briefed Trump, it would become a, you know, a massive scandal that it looked like Trump was sidelining a four-star Marine general to give special favor to his son-in-law and daughter. And so as frustrated and angry as Trump is, There's he doesn't, nothing he can do. He doesn't really have a, a chess move. And that's why I think Kelly, you know, if there was an award for, you know, badass political move of the year, I mean, this move, the move he pulled about Jared is, just blows my mind. So he shows up to work every day. Is he just like, fuck you, I'm a badass, you can't do anything? Like, what is the, what is the vibe inside the White House with him? And Yeah, and- I mean, the, the vibe is morale's obviously low, not only because of Kelly, just because of the ongoing, you know, churn of scandals. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Kelly being a four-star Marine general, um, you know, basically his attitude was, I don't need this job. I'm here because, you know, I'm serving the country. And, you know, fuck you, I'll quit. And he's threatened to quit in the past, as the Times uh, and others have reported. And he basically is acting like a guy that has all the leverage. And, um, I mean, you don't get to be a four-star general. The military um, is an incredibly political uh, institution. And clearly, to rise to the top of the Marines, which is the most hardcore of all the service branches, you know, this guy's a tough motherfucker. And so over the last month, I think we've seen why John Kelly is a four-star general. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. So I'd like to welcome someone really special to the show for a minute so I can talk about one of my sponsors. Hi, Krista. Hi, Nick. That's my wife. So we, what you want to, you want to do this part here? You want to tell them what the reality is? Yeah. Um, so we all live pretty busy lives and unfortunately there are not enough hours in the day to get everything done. And one of the things that we've been doing in our house that I'm totally ashamed of is continually ordering pizza and pasta because we just do not have the energy. It doesn't even taste that good. No. And it's unhealthy and terrible and yeah. So recently I signed up for Freshly and what is, is it's, it's a meal kit service, but you don't actually have to cook. There are these incredible gourmet chefs that make all natural gluten-free dinners that are delivered fresh to your door. So this week we had some really delicious stuff. Um, what was your favorite? My favorite was the chicken and rice pilaf with green beans and carrots. It was delicious. Um, the steak peppercorn was, was pretty great. Also, yeah. I have to say. And, and tonight we are having the baked penne marinara with Italian sausage. I cannot wait. Uh, the great thing about Freshly is that there are, you know, dozens of meals to pick from that are all comfort meals. They're fantastic. You can customize your weekly meals each week. Um, and there's no weekly commitment. So you can kind of sign up and get your deliveries when you want them. And even better, Krista, is that... Freshly is going to offer $25 off. Wait a minute, what? $25 off, yep, at your first That's order. That's a lot of money off. I know. Your first order of six chef-cooked dinners plus free shipping for all the Hive listeners. All they have to do is go to Freshly.com slash Hive. That's F-R-E-S-H-L-Y dot com slash H-I-V-E to get $25 off. I really can't recommend it enough, guys. It's great. What's the... You know, what's the outcome with Jared when it comes to, you know, Jared and Ivanka, um, they, they're pretty shrewd. You know, I mean, they're not. Even- I just want to point out someone in, uh, in Trump world who's an incredibly uh, ruthless and uh, uh, savvy operator uh, in his own right referred to Jared and Ivanka just as a throwaway line. And, and this person likes them. But just in conversation the other day, he said, by the way, these are two of the most ruthless people I've ever met. So I think that just like – that's the frame well, that's, of reference. Well, that. that's, that's, that's my question is you know, they don't seem they, – they seem like they have, uh, quite frankly, the, the ruthlessness of both of their parents. Um, and you know, Jared's father, like you don't get much worse than that. Uh, um, I guess you could be Donald Trump. But um, – but, uh, um, they don't look like they're going to just kind of, you know, roll over and yeah. just ignore this, right? Yeah, I mean, Jared um, Jared told somebody I spoke to recently after he lost his security clearance that he's not going anywhere, and he thinks he can ride this out. 
I mean, Jared is, for a guy who doesn't know what he doesn't know, I mean, you see him, um, the few times you do see him on TV, I mean, the guy has a complete stone face. You know, most people would be, you know, curdled up in the corner in the fetal position. And he has uh, the supreme confidence to think that he can weather this thing. But I just think that Kushner is headed for some sort of epic uh, implosion, whether it's a Mueller indictment, whether it's his family real estate company completely losing their crown jewel, 666 Fifth Avenue. I mean, his raw ambition and grasping for power, I don't think it's and it can sustain itself. So, I mean, you're just waiting for the crash to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. What is it that, you know, when I think about these people, you know, when I go to bed at night, I, I lay in bed and I think about, oh, I got to file this story next week or did I change my kid's diaper properly and, and I can't wait till the weekend so I can go to the park and kick the ball around with my son and my dog. Like, what is it with these people that they, you know, they are in the, the top place in the land as far as power and it is not enough. Are, are they like – you've covered people like Roger Ailes before for years yeah. and and Trump and so on and so forth. What is it about this kind of personality? I mean I think – obviously it's you know slightly different in every case but I think one of the commonalities is you know there is a hole in these people – you know, kind of at their core that they need to fill and whatever caused that hole, whether it was their, their upbringing, um, uh, or, or whatever, you know, it, none of, nothing is enough. And, and it's, um, there is a kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm trying to look for? I mean, they're, they're, they're not fully human people. I mean, they are just purely, um, uh, vessels uh, that are trying to fill themselves with 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 more power, more influence, more money, and uh, and I think it consumes you. I mean, that's the tragedy. That's the Shakespearean element. Of all of this. I mean, in the end, most people like that, as we saw with Ailes, and I think we'll see with Kushner. It just consumes you in the end because you can't. If there's never enough, how did it consume Ailes in the end? I mean, it got him kicked out, as or yeah. I mean, his you know his sense of being uh, untouchable and and feeling like he could do anything with impunity. The way he abused women, you know, uh, used the company funds to hire private investigators to silence critics. I mean, that kind of just you know Tony Soprano ness of you know I can just do. I am I am I am the boss of my own family. You know, in the end, it you know he was fired from the company he built and died less than a year later in disgrace. So, I mean, that legacy it destroyed him. I mean, he'll always be remembered. I mean, what's the famous cliche of um, you know never do something that you don't want to see on the in the first line of your New York Times obituary? Yeah. I mean, I think Jared and Ailes have done did numbers of things that will be the first line of their obit. So it seems like these people. You know, I remember uh, a long time ago listening to. Uh, 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 one of the a podcast about um, uh, mafia bosses and people that worked in the mafia, and the, and they you know you, they interview these 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 mafia guys that have like literally killed people, and they all talk about you know I think this all started when my dad didn't hug me enough, mm-hmm. and it seems like society is you know we 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 deal with the brunt mm-hmm. of people who have this void uh, that just weren't hugged enough as a kid. Uh, and those people are Jared and Ivanka and, and Donald and Roger Ailes. Yeah, I mean, Roger and- Ailes, as I reported in my book, I mean, his dad savagely beat him and his brother. Um, and I got I, his wife's, uh, Roger's, uh, Roger Ailes' mom's divorce papers uh, from the uh, late 50s. And the wife, his mom uh, alleged in the papers that she thought his father was going to kill her. I mean, this is, yeah, just grew up in a house filled with violence and, and abuse. And of course, then you just spread that on the world. So if you had to predict um, where we, you know, it's been a little over a year and almost everyone that started there is gone. um, And it doesn't seem like it's almost, I mean, it is so Shakespearean in the respect of where they all ended up, you know, Mm -hmm. Bannon is, is outcast and so on and so forth. Uh, um, Where do you think we are a year from now? Oh gosh, um, I feel like with our Twitter news cycle, it's hard to predict where we'll be <laughs> we like, in by the time hours. we're done with this conversation. <laughs> um, like you know, literally, I was at a, uh, I was having lunch yesterday, and I picked up my phone, and the Hope Hicks news broke, and uh, um, so 
you, you, yeah, I, I, I've had a million moments where I, I've literally been, you know, in a meeting and I come out and I'm like, oh my God, this mm-hmm. person's been fired or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I, I feel like, you know, obviously the, the, the central question of this presidency has been and will be Mueller. What does he have? You know, he's not leaking. You know, we know somewhat of what he's looking into, but, you know, at the end of the day, if he comes up with an indictment of Trump or Jared or someone in that core group, I mean, that seems like it would topple or could topple the presidency. If Mueller doesn't come up with much and it's just Manafort and it's just this thing kind of fizzles away, I mean, then it's a much more complicated story. I don't know quite where it goes again. I mean, there's been this meme out there over the last month that, oh, liberals are just in this fever dream of Trump's going to be impeached. And in fact, you know, Trump could be easily reelected in, in uh, 2020 because, you know, the economy's humming and, and, you know, it's a relative time. If North Korea doesn't nuke us, it's a time of peace and prosperity. Like, there is that counter narrative that we could all look back in, in three years from now and be like, oh my God, like we got it so wrong. Like what's the famous quote with Pauline Kael said she didn't know one person who voted for Nixon in 72 and he won like what, 49 states. Mm. So I feel like in sort of the New York, Washington, San Francisco, LA bubble, you know, there is this belief that the Trump presidency could be nearing its end. But if Mueller, I feel like it's, it all comes down to Mueller. If it, if not, it could you know, just keep going. So what have you been hearing from your reporting from the people you're speaking to? Like, I've heard myself that, you know, that Jared should be the one that's the most nervous. What, yeah, what I mean, it's hearing? hard as a reporter to to cover a, uh, a federal investigation where the people who are running the investigation are by and large not leaking. So we can only get snapshots of people who interview with Mueller, then reporting back the questions he's asking and trying to deduce what he might have or not have. I mean, I've been hearing, you know, the rumors that Jared's going to be indicted for, you know, we've been hearing this, you know, since the fall. And obviously that hasn't happened yet. So it's, um, but yes, it would seem to be that Jared, through his meetings with foreign leaders uh, during the transition, trying to uh, raise money for his family's uh, real estate uh, empire, and his uh, his role in the campaign and meeting with the Russians seems to have the most, other than Trump, the most to worry about. All right, so let's ask you a few questions here. Um, <clears throat> uh, give us some some of your favorite anecdotes. I mean, some people may know them, you may have written them, but some people may not. But uh, I'm sure no matter who knows what, it's still it's still always fascinating. Um, you've been covering uh, Trump and the White House and all these folks for a long time. Uh, even if you want to give us a, a Roger Ailes one, but give us some of your favorite anecdotes as a reporter on the on the trail. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, I will do this is going back to the campaign, but I remember I interviewed Trump. Um, the it was several days act after the Access Hollywood tape bro- uh, broke, and all these women had come forward to say, you know, Trump groped them, Trump, you know, molested them, and. Um, uh, he, uh, he had granted me an interview. It was a phone interview because I was in New York. He called me, uh, and this was this surreal moment. I think it sort of captures the absurdity of sort of what's happened to American politics. He called me from Gettysburg, from the battlefield, where he had just given a speech um, in which he had vowed to sue uh, every single woman that had come forward to accuse him. And, uh, and he was, you know, on this hollowed ground, you know, running a campaign that was, you know, rekindling all the racism uh, and, xen- and 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 xenophobia uh, of the of the civil war and um and yet he was talking about suing women who accused him of of sexual harassment. So it's just this sort of comic absurdity of uh like if you just stop yourself in this moment. I mean, I still I'm curious what your thoughts are. I still have about five or 10 seconds every morning where I wake up calmly and then it, this sort of sense of dread washes over me. Like, Oh my God, Donald Trump is president. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, there's no calm moment when I wake up. It's, it's usually straight to that. No, it's, it's the part for me that I, it's that I still cannot get my head around is, you know, every time I see him in a presidential setting, whether it's on air force one or, you know, behind the podium with the seal or, or giving a state of the union address or in, 
you know, the White House having a meeting like he did this week, I literally, there is this moment of, that's not real. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, it just doesn't seem... we're living in a movie. Yes, like, like there's someone's going to turn around any second and, and, and press stop and like, the TV is going to turn off and yeah. it's going to, and I'm going to, and it's, it's going to, and the credits will roll and that's it. And, and I, it is so, it is still to this day, so impossible for me to, to understand, you know, how he won. That being said. Interesting. But even, you know, you writing the definitive book on Twitter and understanding, you know, tech and the way the media ecosystem has changed. It was still a surprise to you. That he won? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I got into it. It's funny. I had, um, uh, John Lovett, uh, from Love It or Leave It and Pod Save America on the show a couple, few months back. And, um, and I've, I, I had made, I, I made a bet with Love It, uh, I think in the early, early primaries when, when there were maybe like 16, 17 yeah. people, you know, on stage. And I said that he will be the candidate. Uh, the Trump and, and Love It was like absolutely no fucking way. I remember he got so mad at me, and I was like, "I bet you twenty dollars." And and um, I, and he said, "I'm not gonna. I'm, I don't want your money. I'm not gonna take your twenty dollars." And then fast forward, he he was the candidate, and I ran into him again, and I said, "He's gonna win." And and then he got and Love It was like, "There's no fucking way he's gonna win." You know, the Access Hollywood tape, this, that, and the other. And I said, "All right, we're gonna do the twenty dollar yeah. bet." And he he ended up paying me. Amazing. And, and I and I think and I didn't have some sort of foresight into yeah. the fact that he was going to win. I just it just kind of you could see the fever. I mean, one thing I wanted your take on um, is why do you think he is so effective at using Twitter as a communications medium? I I think that um, it's the a, bots aside, the fact that half of his audience yeah, is fake. I mean, I think that there's, I'll give you two answers to that. Um, and I love that this interview has now turned around on me, but that's totally <laughs> fine. Reporters talking. Um, yeah, it's just what happens. Um, I think that the the reality is, you know, I, I I always I travel a lot for work and and book related stuff and things like that, and I always get in a Lyft or an Uber, and I always ask, you know, across America, you know, I sit and talk to these people as we all do, and I say, what do you do? And and I don't think I've ever in the past, you know, eight months gotten into a car with someone who that was not their second job. Mm-hmm. Um, they're divorced. You, uh, they, they're a school teacher. This is what they do on weekends, you know, to pay the bills. This, that, there's always these heart-wrenching stories mm-hmm. of, of what most people in America are going through. And I think that, you know, the people that do admit that they voted for him – uh, they 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 will admit it because of economic reasons. And yeah. when you ask them, their heating bill is lower, mm-hmm. and you know they are saving money on their taxes. And for them, they're they're going to vote again in twenty twenty yeah. for him. And I think that you know from that perspective, I I understand why he won. Mm-hmm. And I think that the other part of it is there's actually something I do agree with Donald Trump on. Uh, the, there's the NRA stuff that he <laughs> said yesterday. I don't know how how real that was. Yeah, we'll but the thing I do agree with him on, and and, and I'm going to throw this back at you for your take on it. I think that the U.S. media empire is fucking diabolical. Honestly, I think it is it is an embarrassment. I think that it is more the reason that we have Donald Trump in office than any other reason. I think that you have you know Sean Hannity on the right, you have MSNBC on the left. There is no conversation. Um, there is no attempt for a conversation. Like I, have, I know people that work at CNN, and I was asking someone recently, you know, what's it like internally re- regarding the Trump stuff? And he said, there's a lot of people that think that we are too aggressive. You know, there are certain times that he actually does things that that he should get a pat on the back for. Yeah. It's not often, but there are certain times. And he said, but yet. We cover CNN. At CNN, we cover it like he's he's the worst human being alive, and and I think he does a lot of terrible, terrible things. But 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 when you take that media world that we live in, um, and what it has done to drive Americans apart, mm-hmm. and you've got from Drudge Report to the New York Times to everything. Yeah. Um, uh, when you do that, and then you and then you put it on social media, it just it's like amplified. And I was talking to someone the other day. Um, very successful tech entrepreneur, and we were talking about this very thing. Uh, and the the person said to me, um, 
uh, something that I've heard before. That when you have money, when you get really, really rich, like billions of dollars, it doesn't change who you are. It amplifies who you are. It allows are. you to be your full self. It allows you to be your full self. And the same thing applies with technology. With technology, it just amplifies the version of who you are. Mm -hmm. And so if you're kind and, and compassionate and empathetic, like you're going to tweet things like that. If you are – Yeah, like Lin-Manuel Lin -Manuel yes, Miranda. Exactly. It's like everything he tweets, I'm like, God, you're such a good person. Yes. Stop and I, being yes. so good. <laughs> But then, but then you take all these other people that are, you know, and I, look, I do it too sometimes. But, but, and I think that the um, that that Trump saw, you know, Trump saw an opportunity to seize on that and uh, and did it masterfully. I know. I, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, you know, as a member of the diabolical media, I mean, it's uh, I have you know sometimes a lot of self loathing about our profession. I mean, the fact that Trump's not going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, I think, is like a public service. I mean, that dinner, and I've gone to it, you know, it's a gross um, affair of, you know, schmoozing. Yes, reporters schmooze with their sources, but to kind of be on display for America as we are the, the media, and here are the celebrities, and here are the politicians, and we're all sort of in on the joke, to, to your point, when you're, you know, if you're a truck driver or you're... Um, you know, a hotel worker in somewhere in the middle of the country, and you see that, of course you think the fucking system is rigged, and Trump comes along and calls bullshit on it. Um, there was an element to his campaign that if you strip away the racism and, you know, the uh, just the sort of ignorance of it, yes, there was a core issue, and I've talked with Steve Bannon a lot about this when I uh, wrote a, a piece for um, uh, the Vanity Fair Hollywood issue, Um you know, there is a core truth to what Trump was running on, and it could have been the kind of populism that was used for good, and yet it was just populism for white people. So, um, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't on to something. And yes, and I think he used Twitter to speak in an authentic way that was not, I mean, Hillary was running the most kind of anodyne airbrush campaign and you have Trump tweeting like you're the guy you meet at the bowling alley and you're like well fuck I'm going to vote for the guy that I actually think is a real person even yeah. if Trump is not a real person it's interesting because you um when I the, the first guest we ever had on the podcast was was Bob Iger um and I asked and it was you know it was pretty soon after Trump had just won and I said to you know, I asked him, of course, if he was going to run for president, which is pretty clear. Now he's not going to, even though I think he was probably contemplating it at the time. But I did say to him, you know, you run a, a massive, massive media empire. Um, and I brought up this point, you know, that I believe that the system is is broken and that it that it divides us and so on and so forth. And he didn't disagree. And he, his theory was that, that I said, well, how does it end? And he says, you know, I think that we either, he said, I, we either figure out a way to come together and have a conversation like we did in the olden days, mm. or it breaks, um, and then we have to fix it. Uh, and his theory was that eventually with technology and so on, it would break. What is your theory? I, I, I mean, mean, you covered yeah. I mean, you covered Fox for yeah, so long. No, I mean, I think the all of the, all unfortunately, all of the economic incentives are leading us further down the path as what you just mentioned, of driving us into further you know, ba further balkanization, just, you know, speaking to like-minded groups. And, you know, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of talk recently, sort of the, 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 sort of the recovery of the journalism business model where the New York Times and to some extent the Washington Post have been able to sort of build decently sized digital businesses by selling subscriptions, you know, digital-only subscriptions and not having to rely on web traffic and advertising for all of their revenue. And yes, that is a good thing. But, you know, the problem is when you are then dependent on your subscribers, you also don't want to offend your subscribers, just like you don't want to offend sometimes your advertisers. So all of the incentives, unfortunately, are driving us further to stay in these little walled gardens instead of, you know, basically just trying to get at whatever approximation of what the truth is as us as reporters can cover it. So you, when you covered Fox, w one of the things I find interesting, I grew up in England and I lived in France for a little while and, uh, you know, traveled a lot for work and pleasure and so on and so forth. And there really isn't a Fox News anywhere else on the planet, um, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is regulation. So 
so in England, um, if you look at Sky News, which is owned by the Murdochs, it's pretty standard, you know, just headlines and uh, because they do not allow, stri- you know, explicitly partisan programming on the airwaves. I mean, they have their version of the Fairness Doctrine, which was repealed here in 1987. And in, and in Germany, I found this really interesting when I was covering uh, the uh, when I was writing my Bannon piece. Breitbart was not allowed to expand into Germany because hate speech laws in Germany are such that publishers are liable for the content that their commenters post. So all of the racist shit that you see on Breitbart comment section would be deemed hate speech in Germany. Therefore, they just can't even publish there. So I think a lot of the media's problems that we have in America, and I'm not necessarily one for regulation, but is... This was going to be my question, is is if you could apply, like, you know, this is the big conundrum, is one of the things that makes America, America is the First Amendment. It's the unmitigated free mm-hmm. speech. But one of the things that has made America, America today is that same thing. And if if you, do you think that, that we should adopt some sort of rules? I, I mean... As an academic question, sure, if we could go back to a society where people were held to higher standards, um, maybe. But then I just – the sort of reporter in me gets my backup when I think about the idea of the government deciding what the rules are. Because what if – you know, let's say Donald Trump's president and he decides what the rules are. He would put the New York Times and CNN and probably Vanity Fair and everyone else out of business if he doesn't like them. So I feel like the lesser of two evils w- is the system we have, which is, you know, sort of First, first Amendment absolutism. And then we get Donald Trumpism. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but we, can die, we can all go down freely, so. Exactly. This is Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. So I'd like to welcome back my favorite person, Krista. Hi, Nick. How's it going? Uh, so... You have become obsessed with one of our sponsors, Goop. Is That's that correct? That's true. Yep. I actually requested to come help you with this commercial because I'm so obsessed with the products. <laughs> you, you twisted my arm. So uh, tell us a little bit about why you love it. Like, what is it that you're so obsessed with? Um, it's amazing. I, I, you know, I try a bunch of skin products. I'm constantly testing new things out. And especially the exfoliating instant facial, it's just... It feels amazing, and you have actually told me a few times that my skin looks better that right is after using the true. product. <laughs> and I didn't know you were using the product, but I did tell you your skin looks better. Uh, I can definitely say that every time I come home, there are packages of Goop products uh, piled up in front of our house. So uh, Krista is, is probably using everything that they sell. That's really funny. Um, you can get all these things from goop.com slash hive. They offer a fantastic newsletter uh, that comes out twice a week and talks about travel, food, beauty, style, work, and, of course, wellness. And um, if you ever end up at our house uh, and you mention your skin or any kind of skincare product, Crystal will talk your ear off about how Be much— Be careful. I might actually make you do a face mask. You might, you might end up doing a face mask with her, which is probably what's going to happen to me soon, um, and she'll talk your ear off about how much she loves Goop products. So be sure to check them out. Go to goop.com slash hive. Once again, that's goop.com slash hive. And I guarantee you will find my wife there on the site at the same time. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, uh, we're going to, uh, wrap up here in a little bit, but, um, uh, I just wanted to ask you a, a few more questions about, um, about this week. So I was on, I go to Drudge a lot, um, cause I try to see all sides of the story. Um, and I try not to c- click on the daily mail, uh, links because they just are so ridiculous, but, um, or any of the other really ridiculous ones, which is pretty much every link yeah. on there. But, um, but one of the things that, that, that I've seen is there's always – and there always has been the story of, of, of the White House is in pure chaos. The White House is in pure mm-hmm. chaos. The White House mm-hmm. is in pure chaos. And yet it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. Is, is this just kind of going to be the next four years and maybe eight? Uh, or is, is it that we perceive it as being more chaotic now than it, that it was eight months ago? You know, I've thought a lot about that. It's a great question. You know, part of me looks back at the last year and sees the dysfunction in the Trump White House and sees the fact that the government is still running and makes me think like, holy shit, maybe like small government conservatives are actually right because 
you know, the government is a shit show and yet the lights are still on and maybe we don't need, you know, maybe we put too much, you know, uh, uh, credence in the idea that we need, you know, every department staff. That said, I, I, I don't agree with that. But um, I think the main question, the answer to your question of whether this kind of chaos will endure is whether there is a true crisis, whether it's a financial meltdown, a war, uh, an Ebola outbreak, or whatever it is. The Donald Trump White House, by and large, has not really been tested. We've had these horrible mass shootings um, and, 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 and whatnot, but there has not been kind of a you know global crisis that has tested the competency of this White House. And that's what I'm scared about is, yes, we've kind of muddled through now, but you know the stock market's at all record time high. Like Things are great. So- what happens when things aren't so great? Things are things are great financially. Yeah. They're not great. Yes. Anxiety. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Anxiety. We're kind of on this precipice, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Waiting to plunge to our... Things are probably great for the makers of Valium and Xanax yeah. uh, and Donald Trump. Um, do you think that... Um, so Brad Pascal, who mm-hmm. came out this week, is going to run... Um, Trump's 2020 campaign. Did you spend time with him? You know, I have not really spent much time with with Brad. My um, my theory on the announcement was, um, and the fact that it was announced on the banner of Drudge, and this is not sort of based in deep reporting, so it's kind of informed speculation on what people are talking about. But Jared Kushner is very close to Drudge via Murdoch, made that um, relationship. And when Kushner was deep in the headlines, uh, my theory is they announced Parscale this week to try to create a counter narrative of the you know the campaign is already starting for twenty, and my theory is that if things get really bad for Jared, that the what that the campaign will be a soft landing for him because he's uh, very he tight. Could go and run it. He, and- yeah, he's very tight with Parscale, um, and I could see a scenario in which they announce you know next week, next month, you know next year, Jared Kushner to leave the White House to be the chairman of the Trump re-election campaign and that would be kind of the narrative, the soft landing that he would need to get out gracefully. All right, we're going to do a, a little lightning round of um of, I'm going to throw Great, at the end of the day when I'm exhausted. The, I'm we'll, going to throw uh, some names <laughs> at you, names that we all have talked about today and I want you to tell me what you think happens to these people next. So let's just start with Hope. Hope Hicks. Uh Tries to stay out of jail and um, hopefully is luckier in love because her, you know, the last two boyfriends she met through politics, Corey Lewandowski and Rob Porter, were uh, were not uh, menches, as my Jewish grandmother would say. <laughs> um, all right, let's go to Corey Lewandowski. Did he end up? He never. Him and his wife never split up over that relationship. Not to my knowledge. I mean, I uh, I keep thinking, you know, waiting for uh, you know Trump to announce that Corey. Has you know coming back? You know, Corey was recently in the White House last week meeting with Trump. Kelly has been icing him, boxing him out. But I could just see you know Corey has you know you've never you never really leave Trump world, and you know he was fired from the campaign, but he's been just waiting to get off back on the island. Uh, my favorite person in the entire drama series, the Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci. Does he does he make it back on the island? You know, he's working hard. You know, you see Mooch out there tweeting and talking up at conferences that Kelly's got to resign. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that, you know, was humiliated by his time in Trump world, and yet he's dutifully being loyal. So I think Mooch is still hoping that door is open. I love that now the amount of time one spends in the White House is referred to as a Scaramucci. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Kellyanne Conway, you, you believe she's just going to stick around? Yeah, I think she I think she sticks around. I can't see her. You know, I always thought her destiny was to be a cable news pundit. I mean, maybe she ends up on Fox. Um, but I always thought she was, you know, you know, grooming herself to be, you know, a CNN star, but maybe she'll get her own Fox News show, who knows. It's so amazing to me you, you, that you, that these people go this this bizarre route to try to get on TV and literally being on TV is like, it's the worst. It's, you're just a, you just have to ramble for but four again, and a half your, to your, minutes. But to your point about people who have that void in them, there are certain people who need the oxygen, you know, being on TV keeps them alive. And I think Kellyanne is, is one of those people. Um, all right. So, uh, Jared, Jared, um, I think what happens to him next, um, well, obviously, again, he, you know, trying not to end up like his father in federal prison. So that's, you know, I think that will determine uh, what he does next. And if, you know, if somehow he avoids uh, the wrath of Mueller, I, my prediction is he runs uh, the reelection campaign. And uh, and his trusty wife, Ivanka? Um, 
you know, wants to get out of Washington at some point. Um, will they let her back? I mean, well, like, well, if, no, she, if she goes I, to a New York dinner party, think, aren't people going to be like sailed? I mean, I, I, I just, you know, the conversations, the private conversations I have with New York people who do go to those dinner parties that I don't uh, get invited to just say they don't want them there. I mean, they, they're just so disgusted by, uh, this isn't a game. I think, you know, as fun as it is to talk about these people, they are characters in our lives. You know, this is real shit. And if you're a DACA uh, kid uh, or you care about, you know, the environment uh, or just go down the line of all the things Trump has done um, to make this world uh, a a less uh, cool place, um, the, you know, this is real. And I think people in New York who care about these issues are are not interested in welcoming them back to to society. All right. So my last question is Donald Trump. And do you think... And I hope the answer is yes, that he will end up in the same place that Roger Ailes end up, ended up disgraced and dies alone knowing that. Or do you think that he somehow manages to remain Teflon Don and, you know. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump is president, if there was one person that could lead a life of no consequence and, you know, go bankrupt four times, you know, Incredibly harass women, um, break you know, burn every bridge and every relationship, longtime friend you've had. I think it's Donald Trump. I mean, it, he will test the case about whether there is karma in this world. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can fairly say that. Um, I, so, just real quick on that note, I, one of the things I don't understand about him is that he he does acquiesce at times, you know, he seems to be someone who doesn't care, but yet cares. Um, and, you know, I mean, this week we saw him at this meeting where he said to Republicans that, that they're scared of the NRA. Um, and he seemed to, I don't know, is this just part of the play? Um, but why is it that, that there are, that there are scandals that he does nothing about, for example, like the women that, were sexually assaulted or um, by him uh, or, I mean, there's a million different things or, um, and yet there's some things that he says, oh, we got to, we got to do something about I that. Mean, this last week, and again, who knows, Trump could change his mind. So it's hard to take him at face value, but let's just say he does actually do something credible on guns. This was the Trump that, back to our earlier conversation about, he had some sort of message that did break through to some larger truth which was this is the Trump that I always thought could be sort of post-ideological. Yes, he ran as a Republican, but he wasn't beholden to the party in any sort of material way. And the fact that he has been able to you know, stand up to the NRA and call bullshit on the Republicans failing to do anything meaningful on guns is like, all right, this is the guy who is kind of being um, uh, shaking up the system and being you know, a change agent. Um, to use a terrible marketing word, but um, but who knows? I mean, again, this could also be the Trump who craves approval, and he he saw to get on the right side of the Parkland story is a way to to get his poll numbers out of the out of the dumps. And next week he could be you know back to talking about arming every teacher. All right, so uh, I I have to bet you twenty dollars. Do you think he's going to win in twenty twenty? Well, why do what 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 side of the that, bet do I? I mean, I think <laughs> what that side the, of the bet are you taking? I'm going to take the the side that I actually do think that there's a pretty good chance that he will, barring some sort of recession that he can't dig himself out of, and the reason for that is nothing that he has done, but I just have literally zero uh, faith in the Democratic Party to actually pull themselves together and have a cohesive message that is not some bizarre branding message put put together by some. Rich white people in an advertising in agency in New yeah. York. Yeah, um, you know, I um, it's it's a hard bet because I think unless it's Mueller um, that you know indicts him and sort of forces the Republicans into into impeachment, or if the Democrats somehow take the House in eighteen, and I mean, I I think those are the only things that could stop him from being reelected. I think if it's um, you know, him versus you know, Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders. I mean, these are the tired old Democrats that, you know, the party has failed to deliver uh, um, in the past. Yeah. I mean, I I think the Democratic Party, I think the the blessing for the Democrats is there's so much Trump scandal is that reporters aren't covering, you know, what a complete um, uh, utter mess the Democratic Party is in. 
<sighs> on that note, on so that you, are, you note. are taking that $20 bet? or No, I'm going to actually have to table it because I think I, I, I agree with you. I think we're on the same side of the bet. All right. Well, if, if he wins, we'll go split a $20 bottle of wine okay, or we'll get, whiskey. and Get drunk together. And get drunk together. Gabe, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat today. What, where can people find you on the internet? Um, so it's great to be here, Nick. And they can find me on Twitter at, at Gabriel Sherman or um, my articles at uh, Vanity Fair uh, and The Hive. And be sure to go and check out some of uh, Gabe's recent stories, uh, which will take you inside the salacious world of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Thanks to my guest this week, Gabe Sherman. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a glowing, amazing 75-star review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. Thanks to my editors of Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Freshly and Goop. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I'll see you all next week.